0: Amen. Thank you, Brother Charles. And so, pray for one another. Is kind of what we're going to be looking at this evening. Our theme for the year is what, church? Church Church matters. And so, if church matters, it matters how we church. We've looked at it before and I think it bears repeating as we get started this evening that at least 59 times in the New Testament alone, we are told how we are supposed to relate to one another in the church. In other words, when we come apart from the world and we come together as God's people, we're not taking a shot in the dark and and hoping this thing works out. No, when we look into God's Word, we have overwhelming clarity from God on how He designed and desires this thing called church to work. So we've been looking at a number of these on Sunday nights together this year. We've looked at the the basis, really, for all of this, that we are to love one another. We looked at the concept that we are to prefer one another. Last Wednesday night, Brother Josh Midall covered that we are to bear one another's burdens. and He kind of threw out the challenge and suggested that maybe we should cover the uh, command we see multiple times to greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, I don't know that we're going to do that. Actually, you asked for it. I need a volunteer. Brother Josh Midall. come on up. This is be careful what you ask for, right? Yeah, it's a possibility. <laughs> Come front and center, my friend. Hang on, hang on. He's excited. I know he's excited. So when the Bible says that we ought to greet the brethren with a holy kiss, can I show you how that plays out today? Please do. <laughs> oh, Doris. This is how that plays out today. You know know how us that might play out today? Don't worry, I'm just going to give you a hug, all right? Come on in. Here we go. You know what that verse is teaching us to do? That we are to genuinely and deeply receive one another. Now, here's a good principle, okay? The principle doesn't change. In that culture, in this culture, in that day, in this day, we as believers are to genuinely and deeply, I love you, my friend, receive one another. The principle is constant, though the practice may change. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. You may be seated. Nothing more tonight. Uh, That was free. Uh, Yeah. Be careful what you ask for. So tonight, though, we're going to deal with, honestly, one of the one another's in the New Testament that that can be the most life-changing and impactful for a church. And that is this command that we are called to pray for one Another. We're going to look at a number of different passages tonight. I want you to note, Roman numeral 1, if you're taking notes with us this evening, I want you to see the emphasis on prayer. The emphasis on prayer. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18 in verse number 1, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That men ought, what's that word, church? Always to pray and not to faint. That men ought, what, church? Always to pray and not to faint. When you look at God's Word, there's an emphasis on prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is simply talking with God. Specifically, it can be understood that as we talk with God, yes, there is an aspect whereby we do bring our requests to our Heavenly Father. And and I think we have to stop and recognize from the outset that the Bible contains an incredible emphasis on prayer. Again, Luke 18:1. Jesus spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought what, church? Always to pray and not to faint. I love what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 17. Pray without ceasing. Now, now, does that mean that I ought to walk around and every time in the back of my mind I got a prayer going on? And in every conversation, I'm trying to talk to Barry and I'm trying to talk with God. And I'm trying to talk with you and God and driving kids and God. Is that what that means? No. When it says without ceasing, a nice illustration of this is kind of like, have you ever had a nagging cough? And I know you all have because I hear you from up here. Hack, hack, hack. It's kind of one of those things that you just can't shake. That it creeps up at all times of day and night. It's just, it just happens. It, it's, it, that's what this is. It's something that we just can't shake that that we are constantly in a spirit of prayer and we just we don't even recognize hey we find ourselves praying and bringing these requests before our heavenly father I want you to look at a few passages this evening Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 44. I'm going to run through them quickly. They'll be on the screen. You can jot them down and go back and look at the passages and the context. Here in Matthew 5, 44, we are told, Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 44, we are told to pray for our enemies. Jesus said we can turn there. Uh, I'm sure they'll get it on the screen for us here in just a moment. Jesus said, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. We are told to pray for our enemies. Later in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse number 5, Jesus gives us instruction on how to pray. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse number 5, Jesus said, And when thou prayest, Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to stay, pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. He said, verily I, say, uh, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, what did Jesus say? Enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which is seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. He said, Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. He said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed, glorified, magnified be thy name, thy kingdom come. To understand the effectiveness of prayer. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 7, Jesus said this. Matthew 7, verse 7, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. What did we see in James 5:16? That the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? It availeth much. We're also encouraged in what to pray? Matthew 9, in verse number 38, we see Jesus say, Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, what? That he would send forth laborers into his harvest. We are told of the impact of partnering in prayer with one another. Matthew 18 in verse number 19. Jesus said, and again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. So we see we're told to pray for our enemies. We're taught how to pray. We're encouraged in the effectiveness of prayer. We're encouraged in what to pray for. We are told of the impact of partnering with one another in prayer. And that's like half the book of Matthew. Imagine what the 65 and a half other books have to say. Aside from the teachings on the matter, did you know the Bible records about 650 different prayers? And that the Bible records around 450 specific answers to prayer. Jesus, the Son of God, is recorded praying in the Gospels at least 25 times. Jesus taught at least four parables about prayer. Paul mentions prayer at least 41 times in his teaching. The Bible records people praying in the sitting position, praying in the standing position, praying in the kneeling position, praying in the face-down position, praying in the hands-up position. The Bible records people praying at church, at home, alone, in groups, in moments of great joy and in moments of intense pain and sorrow. What do you see throughout the scripture? That we are to pray, 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 pray. You cannot read this book and deny the fact that there is an incredible emphasis on prayer in God's word. I think it's important for us to understand that prayer is not just emphasized in principle. It is meant to be emphasized in practice. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 in verse number 1, Paul wrote this, I exhort therefore that First of all. So there is a priority to what Paul has to say here. That supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. There is an emphasis on prayer in God's word. And there ought to be an emphasis on prayer in the Christian life. You know, Christian, it matters that we talk to God. It matters that we confide in him. It matters that we have confidence in him. i ask you this. How can we claim to have a relationship with someone we don't talk to? And I know that we can always pray more. And anytime you talk on prayer, you kind of get like borderline guilt thing because everybody feels guilty because everybody could pray more. And, And, you know, that's not what this is meant to be. You know, prayer is one of the great graces that God has extended to us. The, the opportunity we have to go before His throne. Prayer and the opportunity of prayer is not meant to heap guilt upon our shoulders, but it is meant to speak grace to our lives. Amen. Yes. Amen. But I want to point out here that the reality is in our day and age, many people don't pray at all. Because the devil makes us so busy that many believers don't feel they have time to pray. But church, as we start tonight considering pray for one another, I think we have to start by seeing the emphasis that we see on prayer in the scripture should translate to emphasis for the Christian and the church. But really, Wednesday prayer meeting should be one of our most well-attended services. The emphasis on prayer, it is necessary And quite honestly, for a spirit-filled Christian in church, it is natural. And therefore, church, we ought pray for one another. So we see the emphasis on prayer. What about this? Not only the emphasis on prayer. Can we consider tonight our expectations with prayer? Our expectations with prayer. Look at me again at James 5 and verse number 16. James writes, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. He said, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Let me ask you, what do you expect when you pray? I mean, it's, it's an honest question. What do we expect when we pray? I mean, an answer to our prayers is the, is the right answer, and it's the easy answer. But, but let me ask you, really, in your heart of hearts, when you pray, what do you expect? What do you expect? You know, there are some who would pose the question, well, why should we pray? And the logic to that question goes something like this. Since God is good, amen... Well, he is good. Amen, church? And since God is omniscient, meaning God knows everything, amen? Amen. And since God is sovereign, amen? Amen. Well, then what difference does prayer really make? If God is good and he knows everything and he's sovereign, so he controls everything, what difference does prayer make? Why pray? I ask us tonight, what should our expectations be? And church, I think it's important to understand that, yes, the Bible teaches that God is sovereign. But the Bible also teaches that God is sympathetic to the cry of his children. And I can't claim to tell you how all that works together. Except to know that I can trust God to do his part. And so I better make sure I'm doing mine. Because yes, God is sovereign, but you cannot read this book without recognizing that God is sympathetic to the cry of his children and that prayer changes things. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 22, Jesus answering, saith unto them, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed, and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you that whatsoever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. By the way, that's not an isolated promise. We see Jesus make promises like that in a number of different places. We saw in Matthew 7, he said, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock in it. Shall be open. I think of the verse Pastor Lewis quotes all the time. First John chapter number five, beginning in verse fourteen. He said John wrote, "And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him." Prayer, according to this book, prayer changes things. And where God's sovereign decree and His sympathetic ear and heart begin and end, I don't always have all the answers, but I do have clear Scripture that tells me when we pray, God hears, and when God hears, God moves. Prayer changes Things. And so what should we expect? Let me give you a couple of thoughts tonight. When we pray for one another, we should expect by faith that the Lord will give the help that's needed. It's not a, oh boy, I crossed my fingers and I hope so. Church, when we pray for one another, we should expect by faith that God will give the help needed. Can I go back to our verse in Ephesians 6 and verse number 18? The Bible says there, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication or prayers for all saints. So we are praying for one another, right? What are we praying about? Well, believe it or not, I don't, as pastor, just get to make up what's around this verse. Because you see, there's a beautiful thing called context, meaning what is around those other verses that tell me what we're praying about. And you know what we're praying about in this instance in Ephesians chapter 6? We're praying about matters of spiritual warfare. You go back to Ephesians chapter 6 beginning in verse number 12, and Paul writes this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He said wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You can follow uh, Paul then goes and he begins to talk about the different pieces of the armor of God. the, 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 uh, The breastplate of righteousness. The feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. The shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. And then he talks about all those things and he says And verse number 18, then praying for all saints. Because how many of us recognize we all face battles? We're all engaged in spiritual warfare. That the devil's trying to tear us down and destroy us from the inside out. The devil wants your heart. The devil wants to destroy your life. The the adversary, that old liar, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy all that God has prepared for you. And Paul says, you know what? In the context of the spiritual war we face, he said, we are to pray for one another. And you know what we're to expect is that when we pray for one another, we ought to, by faith, expect God to give the help that we need. By the way, the very next verse, in verse 19, got to love context. So he said, yeah, pray for one another, pray for one another, pray for all saints. He says, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul says, hey, while you're praying for one another to stand strong in the battle against spiritual wickedness, he said, pray for me as I go out and battle it too. He said, because I want to open my mouth with the light of the gospel of Christ. Amen. So what do we do? Boy, we ought to expect by faith that the Lord's going to give the help needed. You know, Ephesians 4.16, it talks about how we can come boldly before his throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. You know, what are we doing when we pray? In essence, when we pray for one another, what are we doing? We are asking God to intervene on someone else's behalf. And we are asking God to supply that which they lack. What are we praying for? Maybe we're praying for their soul salvation. Maybe we're praying for spiritual strength, for physical strength, for wisdom, for discernment. Maybe we're praying for a spirit of unity, a spirit of love, a spirit of comfort and peace. But we're asking God to intervene. And we're asking God to supply that which they lack. You know, in essence, I think in illustration, we have our three kids, and they attend the Christian school here. And from time to time, the teacher will call us in for a parent-teacher conference, and they'll say, Well, we've got this going on, and in this particular uh, subject, uh, this child of yours is having this struggle, and so, so maybe these are some ways that you can come alongside in the home. What, what is that teacher doing? That teacher is seeking intervention from the father on behalf of the student. No, I'll tell you, I like to think I'm engaged enough as a parent to know where and when my kids are having struggles. But you know, when somebody else calls me in as a father, boy, I'm going to tell you, it it really draws my heart to that in a unique and distinct way. And you know, I think we talk about, yes, God is sovereign, but God is sympathetic to the cry of his saints. And when we cry out to the Father on behalf of another, Father, this is your child, and they need strength, or they need wisdom, or they need help, or they need healing, they need peace, they need comfort. You know what? Boy, I believe that that draws in the heart of the Father in a unique way. What do we expect? What are our expectations with prayer? We ought to expect by faith that when we pray for one another, that God is going to intervene and supply that which they lack. When we pray, church, biblically, we should expect that God will help. When we pray, we should by faith expect that God will give the help that's needed. I'll I'll mention this as well. When we pray for one another, we should expect by faith that the Lord will bring the help and healing as he sees fit. The whole context of James chapter 5, go back there if you would. James chapter 5, it talks about confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You know, there is context here where uh, is one sick among you? What are we going to do? We're going to call the elders of the church and we're going to pray. And so we ought to expect when we pray that God will bring the help and healing as he sees fit. Now, sometimes God chooses to heal on this side. Aren't you glad for that? I mean, preacher, it wasn't too many years ago when that oncologist sat down and looked at you and said, Reverend, I don't know what's going to happen, but you can mark it down. This cancer is going to be what gets you. And you've been cancer free now how many years? Five years Five years cancer free. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. To God be the glory. Sometimes God chooses to bring help, to bring healing on this side of heaven. You know, sometimes God accomplishes healing by taking us to heaven. And church, I know it hurts our hearts when we say goodbye to loved ones but the reality is we cannot allow ourselves to get so bent out of shape that we are that we are it creates a stumbling block for us because the reality is the believer that God takes to heaven uh, they don't lose they win Amen. you know if god chooses to use cancer to take somebody to glory the cancer the cancer didn't win The cancer was just the vehicle that God chose to transition them from this side to that side. And so we understand as believers that when God chooses to take someone to heaven, do you know what he's chosen to do? He has chosen to heal them unlike any healing you and I have ever experienced. Sometimes... God chooses to heal on this side. Sometimes God chooses to heal by taking them to glory. You know, sometimes God chooses to help by giving grace to help them bear that cross. You know, I think of the Apostle Paul, a familiar passage in 2 Corinthians 12. The Apostle Paul was struggling. He 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 said, lest I should be exalted above measure. There there was an abundance, uh, through the abundance of revelations. He said, it was given to me a thorn in the flesh. He said, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Literally, that word buffet means to hit with a closed fist. He said, the messenger of Satan was allowed to beat on me. Lest I should be exalted above measure. How many of you would find that Pleasant. His response in verse number 8, he said this, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, what did he say? Let's say it in unison. He said, My grace is sufficient for thee. You see that? Sometimes God doesn't bring that Healing, as we define it on this side or bring that healing by taking us to the other side, sometimes God steps in and gives us the help and strength that we need to bear that cross for His glory. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. He said, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. See what Paul said? He said, most gladly, therefore. I don't know that I... And spiritual enough to have, would have said that. The messenger of Satan is punching me in the face with a closed fist. And God said, nope, 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 I'm not going to take it away. But my grace is sufficient. I think my response would have been like, oh, okay. 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 okay if I have to. That's not what Paul said. He said, most gladly, therefore, He said, would I rather glory in my infirmities? He said, in order that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What a powerful testimony. But you know, the grace of God is that great. The grace of God is that good. But when we pray for one another, we ought to expect by faith that God will bring help and healing as he sees fit. Let me ask you, when we pray for those requests on the prayer list, is that really where our heart is? You know, sometimes I feel like we put a high level of confidence in the doctor's words. But we hold pretty lightly to what God says. Like, I mean, if God does something, like, you know, heal from cancer, then we're all like... I know we would never say this out loud, but like we're pleasantly surprised. Hey! That's awesome! Maybe we should hold more lightly to the words of man and hold more tightly to the words of God. What is the expectation that we ought to have with prayer? Prayer can... We ask in faith, nothing wavering. By the way, I know we are hearing that uh, from the city. We do have people monitoring the weather, um, and if need be, uh, we will move into this hallway over here uh, if we need to, all right? Because I know we've got a line of storms getting ready to come through. So I just want to let everybody know we do have multiple men who are monitoring the weather and monitoring the broadcast, uh, and if need be we will move down this hallway here uh, to a safe location. Amen? Amen? Amen. But I wonder what would happen if we as a church got back to the place where we expected God to move, where we genuinely expected God to move in response to our prayer. Not as some genie bound by our command, but as our good, good Father who is burdened for his child. So what do we see tonight? We see the emphasis of prayer. We see the expectation we ought to have with prayer. And lastly tonight, I want you to consider this, the effect of prayer. The effect of prayer. Two thoughts here and we're done. Number one, the effect for others. You recognize this, I can't fix your problems. Typically the problems that we have in life, I can't fix them, your mama can't fix them, your daddy can't fix them. Sometimes your doctor can't fix them. You know, my words can comfort, but they cannot cure. Sometimes human comfort cannot be found at all. But you know what prayer does for others? Prayer interjects God into the equation. Prayer interjects the one person who can do something about it. The one person who can bring healing. The one person who can give help. The one person who can change hearts. Prayer does that. Praying interjects the one who can do something about it. Praying for one another is something called intercession. And when I intercede for another, what am I doing? I am bringing God to intervene for them. Prayer is not a pretense. It's not something we do because we're supposed to do it. Rather, prayer invokes God's presence in a powerful and unique way. It's effect on others, and it's effect on me. you know what prayer does? Prayer invests me in the life of others. Prayer invests me in the life of others. Praying for others opens my eyes and enlarges my heart to see the burdens of others. How many of you live pretty busy, full lives? Yeah. If you don't, come see me. I would like to help you with that. <laughs> I have a few things I could take off of my plate and add to yours. Do you know what prayer does? Prayer helps me to look up a little and to open my heart. Prayer helps me take those problems then. Helps me help bear their burdens. Helps me take those problems, as we said, to the one who can do something about it. Sometimes, church, it would be good for us to stop talking about it and start praying about it. And by the way, I think it's important that we note here, prayer and prayer requests are not an excuse for gossiping or being a busybody. But prayer invests me in the life of others. You know what else prayer does for me? Prayer involves me in the life of others. You know what happens when I get a burden for somebody and I start praying? Here's what happens. The Holy Spirit taps on my shoulder and says, Why don't you call them? The Holy Spirit taps me on my shoulder and says, Why don't you take them out to coffee? The Holy Spirit taps me on the shoulder and says, Hey, why don't you volunteer to babysit their kids and give them a gift card so they can go out on a date? When I pray for somebody, do you know what happens? so very often is that, is that the Holy Spirit begins to work in my life so that what I get to become a conduit of God's grace to them. I get to be a part of God's grace to them. And I may not be able to solve their problem and I may not be able to take away their pain, but I can be a part of what God wants to do to help and to strengthen and to heal How many times when we pray for someone, when we truly pray for them, not just read names off a list, but we truly pray for them, does God move us in specific, tangible, visible ways to love them and to edify them and to encourage them in some positive, practical way? So often when you pray for others, God uses you then as a conduit of His grace in their lives. And I want you to think about these applications. Hey, we've been been general tonight in our teaching, but let me ask you, hey, husbands and wives, what happens when we start to pray for one another? Hey, what happens when when we start to pray for one another? And God, I know she's got a lot in her heart right now. God, I know things are hard with the kids. God, I know he's got heavy burdens on him at work. And God, I'm asking for you to intervene in his life. Intervene in her life. Husbands and wives, man, how would that change things? If we went into our prayer closet and we prayed for our spouse, and we lifted up those things before God, how God would change things in our homes and in our marriages? Boy, what would happen if you took that person here at church that really uh, grinds your gears? And I know he or she, they do attend here, okay? I know, I know. It happens. I feel like we, we, we have a good church and we love each other. But, you know, sometimes you have that person that you love but don't always like. And so what would happen if you prayed for him? You know, if I'm supposed to pray for my enemies, if I'm supposed to pray for the ones that like spit on me and, and, and curse me and, and physically harm me, if I'm supposed to pray for them, maybe I ought to do that for my brother or sister who I don't always connect with the way I should. How would that change this church? if we prayed for one another how 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 would it how would it change things if we took that prayer list and we genuinely with heartfelt faith and expectation prayed for one another you know what we would start doing we would start going up to those people hey i've been praying for this this week how are you doing We'd start looking for answers to prayer. You know, sometimes answers to prayer don't get posted. And it bothers me that nobody asks. Because we ought to pray expecting an answer. Amen? And if I really got a hold of that prayer list and said, Lord, I'm praying for brother so-and-so. Or I notice here that that this person's asking prayer for this unsaved family member. Boy. Boy. If I started praying with that sense of expectation, I think it would change how I handled that prayer list. Hey, church, prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. And so often we look for the big, grand outward man, I need to, die. And, and this church is going to be. And I think some, I honestly believe the thing that might change this church the most is if we truly learn to pray for one another. You know someone once said what the church needs today is not more or better machinery it's not new organizations or more novel methods but what the church needs today more than anything is men or women men and women whom the holy ghost can use men and women of prayer men and women mighty in prayer so what i'd like to do for the next few moments tonight is to stop talking about prayer and to start to spend a little bit of time doing it. Let me ask you, who can you pray for tonight? Who can you pray for tonight? Husband? Maybe it's your wife. Wife, maybe it's your husband. Maybe the two of you can come together and pray for a child or another family member. Maybe it's a church member. Who can you pray for tonight? Let me throw something else at you. Let me ask you, who can you walk across the auditorium tonight, put your hand on their shoulder and pray with tonight? You know, sometimes it's a powerful thing to have somebody put their hand on your shoulder and for you to hear them lift you up before the Heavenly Father. Who tonight? You don't have to drag them down to the altar. You don't have to do what I did to Brother Josh earlier and drag them up to the front. Maybe tonight you just slip to where they're sitting. Just put your hand on their shoulder and just pray. Don't ask their permission. Just pray. Just pray. You know, there's some heavy burdens in our congregation. We all fight spiritual battles. And if church matters, and it does, amen, then it matters how we church. Let's spend some time tonight praying for one another.